Hello, hello. Good afternoon, everybody. How are we doing? Good. So we, we need to make a commitment from the onset here. This is a workshop on children's ministry. So it's by far going to be the funnest thing that you've done at conference all week, right? We, we thought about filling the room with balloons or beach balls or something, but then we just decided to put candy on the table. In, in honor of a children's ministry workshop, I actually brought my Minecraft mug. My yeah, favorite mug. So fitting. for those of you who are relating with Minecraft, there you go. A little very, something, something. Very, very cool, yes. So um, just so you know a little bit about the two guys on stage, we thought we'd kind of give you a, a little snippet into who we are. Um, my name is Brad Baker. I'm one of the executive pastors here at New Life. Been here a little over two years. And I oversee children's, junior high, high school, college, and our leadership academy. And uh, I, I, it's, I hope you're, you're like me and that you pinch yourself many days and go, I can't believe that I get to do what I do and be a part of the church that I'm a part of. And so I'm, we're, we're both really excited um, to get a chance to share uh, some things with you guys. Um, to my left, riding shotgun, is Mr. Joshua Caldwell. I'll let him tell you a little bit about himself. Hello, everybody. Um, again, my name is Josh, as Brad said, and I hail from the great or not so great state, Brad, of Indiana. I doubt there. No way, Hoosiers? Oh, come on. Yes, yes, yes. He, he yes. told me earlier, he said, if I get one shout out, my whole I, day will be. I actually promised him that I would do a backflip if there was a Hoosier. No, I'm just kidding. Not going to do it. Workers comp. Um, so, grew up in Indiana for the first 12 years of my life and uh, moved here to Colorado Springs in 2002 and uh, was here for about seven years and then had a uh, little time in Houston, Texas where I did some student ministry and where I met the love of my life who I am now married to and a two and a half week old father and they're actually right here in the house. This is my wife, JC, the really red-faced hot brunette right there that's ducking her face with the massive ring on her finger. Yeah, that's my wife. <laughs> so uh, here at New Life, I oversee kids worship and creative. Um, so that's kind of uh, what I do on a weekly basis. And uh, I'm honored to be here, been here since January of this year. So kind of a newbie when it comes to New Life staff, but loving the journey, loving every minute of it. Awesome. So I became children's pastor uh, about a year ago, and one of the crazy things for me is I never anticipated being a children's pastor. My experience was in college ministry for 15 years, and so when this happened, it was this crazy unexpected turn in my life, and I have to say that without, without a doubt, without batting an eye, it's been the most exciting most fulfilling season of ministry I've ever known. So I've discovered what probably many of you have known for years and that children's ministry is amazing. It's just incredible. Uh, when I became the children's pastor, two things really stood out to me um, right, at, right out of the gate. And the first one was how quickly I felt like God downloaded into me his heart for the kids of our church. When I would be standing at the door, it didn't matter what age or grade specific area I was in, and I was welcoming kids in, it felt as though I was welcoming my own kids in. And I, I knew it wasn't because I had just this incredible heart for kids, but that God was giving me a, a little glimpse of his heart for the next generation. And it was just stunning to me. I just felt an overflowing of abundance of love and concern and care for these kids. The second thing was that God seemed to place just the right people at just the right time to help me 
to help me learn children's ministry as quickly as possible. We at New Life have about a thousand kids that come through over the course of a week. And so I quickly needed to get oriented, even though so much of what I, what I knew and loved about college ministries was transferable, a lot, of, a lot of things weren't. And a lot of things I had to retool my bag. So I have probably, re- I don't know how many books I've read on children's ministry in the last year, but you name the book, I've probably read all of it or most of it in last year, and it's been this fun, exciting, engaging learning process for me. And so I slash we, we don't stand up here today experts in children's ministry, but really fellow travelers on the road of children's ministry, and really we want to share out of the wrestlings and what we believe to be some really profound conclusions that we've made. Um, things we've wrestled through, and so we want to kind of invite you into that journey um, this afternoon. So regardless of what context of children's ministry that you're involved in, how small or big your church is, whether it's rural or in the inner city, whether it's an incredibly diverse group of kids that you work with, or they're all kind of similar, um, we all share one thing in common, and that one thing is this. We want more than what our ministry currently is. We long for God to to do more in and through our children's ministries. I don't think any of us in this room would say, oh yeah, I've kind of landed the ship. I've kind of figured it all out. I kind of got this all wrapped up. There's a nice little bow on this package and I'm good to go. I think we, we come to conferences like this and we want to rub shoulders with each other because we know, right, as disciples of Jesus, that we're learning to follow, follow him first and foremost, but we're also learning what ministry really should be. And if you sort of have a closed canon, if you will, on your children's ministry ideals or philosophy, I would argue that you're probably in the weeds already, that there should be a, an openness a moldableness about how you look at what you do, an openness to learn and to grow. And so I think by you being here, you're, you're showing that. One of the things for us that's been super instrumental is really asking the question, why? And before I talk about that, I think when we desire more for our children's ministry, the first place that we often go is how can we have a better expression of our children's ministry? And although that's a really good idea at first glance, when you immediately rush to the expression, you forget to really go down deep, dig down under the surface, and see what that expression is truly rooted in. And so you can go to a conference, and you can see, oh my gosh, look at that incredible bounce house for $70,000. If I get that bounce house and put it in front of my church and attract more children, then that bounce house will really begin this process of making my children's ministry great. Or, oh my gosh, I was at this conference, you've been to the children's ministry conferences, and you walk aisles and aisles and aisles of all these, not all of them, but a lot of them are trinkets for children's ministry. Oh, what if I just got that and we could plug that in and that that would make our children's ministry that much more amazing. And we kind of start there when we think about advancing our ministry or, or taking it to the next level. And we would argue that really, in fact, you should start somewhere entirely different. And you should say, why do we currently do what we do? In other words, you start to examine 
your theological underpinnings, your ministry philosophy, your contextualization of all that, and then, and only then, do you come to the expression of your children's ministry. Yeah, and our story kind of started in this regard um, of, with the people that God miraculously and divinely brought into our ministries, namely the Anthonys. I saw Michael Anthony um, walk in, but you know, people like that who have kind of pushed us to ask these questions of, yeah, why do we do what we do? And really taking a step back and assessing all the nuances of our ministry through the lens of, okay, is, is this who we are? Is this, do we have a solid concrete answer to why we do what we do? Absolutely. So if you want to grab the packet on your, on your table that says the children's ministry conundrum, I picked the word conundrum so that you would think I'm actually smarter than I, than I really am. So um, the, the challenge really is what the conundrum means, a tricky challenge, right? The children's ministry challenge, I, I think, is just what we've articulated. It's that we tend to focus on the expression of children's ministry without analyzing, have we landed on a philosophy of children's ministry? Because from that philosophy, everything we do outwardly should come. But sometimes there's this huge, huge disconnect. So if you open your packet to page one, I wanna walk you through a couple things. The third thing down says, like any beautiful artistic creation, we don't create healthy ministries without an intentional process. And for us, that intentional process begins with asking why and begins with us saying, is there a healthy thinking through of things as it relates to our children's ministry? Or did we simply go, oh, that looks like church down the road is doing pretty well. Why don't we kind of glean from them and plug and play it over here? Second thing down, like, any specific, like a specific def- destination, We don't stumble upon a healthy, fruitful ministry without a defined target and an intentional process again to get there. So for us, one of the things that's been healthy is for us to define the target of children's ministry. What really are we aiming at? And for us, it's boiled down to three words, healthy, spiritual, formation that we desire to provide a context in the local church as well as empower moms and dads to provide a context in which the spirits of children are formed by Jesus himself. You may say, what's spiritual formation? Well, in the evangelical Christian context, it's when you say, you know what? My spirit is always being formed. It's It's a fluid process that's happening day in and day out. But I, as a follower of Jesus, want Jesus to be the primary molder and shaper of my spirit. So our goal would be, whether we see the fruit of it or not, week in and week out, that we would set our children on a trajectory that their whole life, the number one thing that's forming who they are is Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scriptures, the church, the community of faith is molding and shaping who they're going to become, that their whole life is set on a different trajectory because they have chosen to say yes to that process. One of our key scriptures on this is Galatians 4.19. Paul writes here, he says, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains again for you. 
and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. So you see this apostolic pastoral longing in Paul for the character of Christ to be formed in the church in Galatia. And in that same way, our deep longing as children's ministry leaders in any context should be that the character of Christ come alive and be formed in the lives of the children that we're leading. leading. So we've already hit this already at the bottom of page one. Healthy children's ministry practices are always supported by a healthy and robust philosophy of ministry. So one of the questions that I had to ask of our ministry is, do we show any of the symptoms of lacking a healthy philosophy of children's ministry? And so I thought it would be kind of fun and interesting for us to look at some potential symptoms. You may say, well, I'm not, I, I think we have a children's ministry philosophy. If someone cornered me and asked me to write it down, I think I could put a few things down. So maybe some of you are going, I, I don't really, I'm not sure. Let's see if you can resonate with any of these potential symptoms. So these are the top five symptoms that a well-formed ministry of philosophy is lacking at your church or in your ministry. Number one is, this one's pretty, pretty painful, but very telling. The loudest or most convincing voices at any point set the direction. Do you guys have any volunteers or staff that you work with and they are drivers? You know what I'm talking about? They love to take the reins and they have strong opinions about just about everything and they're not afraid to share them. Anybody, anybody have any people like that around you? Maybe you are that person, which in that case, Lord bless you. There's nothing wrong with that. But I bring that up to point out that if there is that person in your ministry and there's not a strong philosophy of ministry, they will often set the agenda, perhaps without you even realizing it. They'll come in with an idea, a thought, and you'll think, well, that's hard to argue against. Problem number one, there, there is nothing that's holding it up or pushing against some ideas, to a grid, if you will, to examine someone. So if someone's loud and convincing, you're like, maybe they're right. And so if you frequently find yourself sort of adopting just random things from, from different vocal leaders in your ministry, could be a sign that it's lacking. Number two, Josh, you want to walk us through that? Yeah, this one is funds are spent haphazardly. Now, this one's a funny one to me because I think we can all relate to the closets of junk that we have at our churches that's filled with like piles and piles and piles of like vests, like velvet vests with pins on them and the little, you know, Bible bucks or whatever. There's all these things in this closet and it's happened to me since being here where I walk into a closet and it's just tons of stuff that, you know, cobwebs, spiders, you know for a fact they haven't been touched in decades and decades and decades Maybe and decades. Maybe used once and then thrown in the Since the time of the early church. But <laughs> it's, it's this stuff that, you know, if there's no philosophy, then you throw money towards this. Oh, let's, let's buy a 70-foot Baymax that's on stage and that's inflatable. And it's like, yeah, he's awesome. Baymax is going to save kids. Well, you know, is there really a grid philosophically for a giant Baymax purchase? I don't know. There might be. Perhaps. 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 You but, could argue it. 
It's this idea that when you have a concrete filter of philosophy, then funds are going to be spent strategically. And it's not going to be throwing dollars to the sky and buying all this stuff, but there's going to be a purpose and a vision for the dollars spent. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're going through the, the budgeting process, and it really doesn't matter whether you're working with a lot of money or a, a meager amount. It's very telling what you put on that budget and what you're allotting money to. I was, we were working with, I was working with one, uh, a person on my staff and they had asked for this certain dollar amount and I was kind of like, I don't know. And I was pressing them to get more specific. And then suddenly they came back into the room and they said, I want to put it towards this. And I went from being apprehensive to going, yes. Why? Because it lined up perfectly with the philosophy that we are adopting. And I said, you're, I said, barring the elders having some other opinion, you're probably gonna get that money because it's so in step with what we're hoping to do in 2016. So number three says this, another symptom, symptom number three, that a well-formed ministry philosophy is missing or lacking is that leaders and volunteers can't adequately, adequately answer the why question. Hey, um, just, you know, let's say I came to visit your church and I, I pulled one of you aside or one of your leaders and said, hey, why do you guys do fill in the blank? And if the answer for you or your volunteers is, I'm, I, because, Jesus, Jesus? Uh, God? It, because we love, ki we, we love, we love kids. Yeah, and there's a struggle to articulate the rationale behind what you're doing, that's a big sign, right? That there needs to be some shoring up. For us, we had just killed something in our church that had been around, I don't know, for how, long, how long had uh, Base Bucks been around? Seven years? So, so something for seven years, we decided to ixnay on the Base Bucks, A. Eh? It was an incentive program for bringing your Bible and all this stuff. Why? One, because no one could really answer, uh, you know, fully or give us an acceptable answer for why. And number two, it started to become, become apparent it was counter to the philosophy that we were landing on. So walk us through number four, Josh. Yeah, this is goals and objects can't truly be prioritized. You know, I think there's a difference between having a goal list, absolutely, for all us I shouldn't say us because I'm not type A at all. My wife's type A, so I can vicariously say us. But for those of us who are type A, who love goals and love to-dos and love to check boxes off about stuff that you want to accomplish for the next year, well, I think the key word here is prioritized. There's got to be priorities within those goals so that you know exactly what takes precedent over something else. Absolutely. Uh, to give you an example of this in our context, we... Um, we have had definitely several things this year that have bubbled up to the very top to say there is a long list of goals, but these are sort of our strategic initiatives that we are going to put tons of effort, prayer, and energy towards because they are even more core than maybe some of the things further down the list to where we're headed. For us, that was volunteerism. And it, it really started with the theological underpinning that, that we, there's this thing called the priesthood of believers, that the ministry of Jesus is meant to be given to his people, right? And so we started there going, wait a second, we have far too many staff 
leading ministry and, and not enough volunteers. Like, we got to change that. It started with a theological underpinning and then went to a philosophy of ministry. Then we contextualized it, and now we're expressing it. So number five is this. Leadership jumps at any new idea that is working at another church. I mean, and that never happens to any of us, right? You go to a conference. Usually, I mean, we can pick at the, at the mega church because we are one. But you, you go to a conference and it's working there. So it, it must be, I can much just grab it and plug it and play it and it'll work in my context, right? Wrong, right? Because there's nothing really supporting it. You haven't done the homework to dig a little deeper. So, yeah, and I think a, a tendency in ministry, as much of a bummer as it is, is we all, no matter what size church we're part of, no matter what denomination, we all kind of have a tendency to look to the big titan of the group, you know? If you're a church of 10,000, you tend to look to the church of 20,000. Oh, what are they doing? If you're a church of 50, you tend to look at the church of 500. So I think we're all susceptible in ministry, really as at large, you know, to falling into this, looking to the big gun, the big titan, the person who's, you know, charging the hill with the newest and freshest ministry. So, yeah. and, and, and the best idea could be at the local community church down the street that's running 200 people total and they are just anchored in and doing something that we, <laughs> many of us should and have. And have the 70-foot Baymax. Of course, right? yeah, okay. naturally. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That was supposed to be funny. Okay, there we go. Okay, thanks. So we're, we're really going to jump into the meat of our, of our time together, our breakout session. And we're going to examine four of the most common approaches to the spiritual formation of children. And this is going to be fun for us because like when we walked through this, it forced us to examine and see which of these approaches we were implementing it, implementing without even knowing it, or perhaps which hybrid of approaches that we were implementing, again, without even knowing it in this case. And so our goal in this time, in this next session, as we go through these four common approaches, is that you would be evaluating as we deliver this content to you to go, oh yeah, our church is, is kind of a little bit of that. Or, oh yeah, so that you can walk out of here if, with nothing else, a clear picture of what you're already implementing. Again, maybe without even knowing it or able to articulate it, you're actually implementing one of these four very common approaches. And to, to add a little spice to it, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. So Josh is going to present one of the philosophies, and I'm going to kind of give voice to the critic and say, ah, oh, here is a weakness to that, Josh. I'm going to kind of pick at it a little bit. But it's not because he's for one and I'm not. It's just so that we get a healthy perspective of the pros and the cons, the upsides and the downsides of these various philosophies. So kick us off, Josh. Yeah, and we used a lot of what we're about to jump into from this book, Perspectives. Um, it's edited by Michael Anthony, who's in the house right now. Um, again, we referenced him earlier, one of our huge, huge, huge advocates yes. of moving in this direction. It's called Perspectives. If you guys haven't uh, read this, I would highly, 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 highly recommend it because it's about six levels deeper than what we're about to talk about now. We're going to talk about 30,000 foot view stuff, but um, I would strongly recommend this book, Perspectives by on, uh, on Children's Ministry Formation uh, by it's Mike... Yeah, edited by Michael Anthony. Yep. So there's a long intro by him, and then there's four other authors. Four authors. If you go Perspectives on Children's Formation, it should pull up on Amazon. And we've actually renamed 
the four philosophies because Josh and I put together are actually a little smarter than Mr. Anthony. Well, actually, that's... He's got like 18,000 doctorates, so... He's got 12 doctorates, yeah, so I don't, maybe like that. Not. I don't We know. need a few more people on stage, and then maybe we're... I don't know what he... Yeah, we'll talk <laughs> later. <laughs> so we're going to tackle these approaches from a very highly objective standpoint, as Brad talked about. Um, you know, we're neither abdicating nor adopting any of these approaches. We're Switzerland. Ourselves. We're, exactly. We're the, we're the Swiss or France. Um, we are... At this point, for all you know, unaffiliated with any of these. So we're just going to give you guys the material, and then we're going to do an exercise after this that will put the ball in your court to assess where you're at uh, in your ministry. So here we go. Number one, it is the mini monastery model. Now, this model is framed around the Montessori schools, for those of you who know what those are. And this model usually is prominent in the Catholic, Episcopal, and Lutheran circles. And the key phrase here is hushed reverence. And what this approach is, is uh, it has a huge emphasis on creating an environment where kids can come in and they can sit quietly and they can quietly reflect about what God's done in their lives or maybe what he wants to tell them this week. And it gives them a chance to do two things, to hear and then to respond to that message that they feel that the Lord is giving them. So really it's a no fluff kind of model. Um, there's not a lot of glitz, not a lot of glamor. There's not the huge light show, productions, fog machine, all that. But it's uh, setting aside time and creating space for kids to really reflect and think about God in an experiential kind of way. Two of the big terms that go along with this model is uh, the connatural knowing and the speculative knowing. The connatural being uh, experiential. Kids are experiencing God. And the argument within this model is, well, when kids experience God first, then they can lend themselves to knowledge later. The experience is the crux and the foundation preceding knowledge and the more concrete theological principles that they can learn later on. Also, another argument is children's needs over their wants. So, you know, the, the people in this model would argue, well, fluff and production and media and social media and all this stuff, those are what kids want. That's not what they need. You know, the kids want to play video games. Kids want to be hyped up on pixie sticks and run around and bang their heads against the wall. You know, they, they want to do all these exciting things, but really, they would argue what kids need is quiet reflection and thinking and sitting and, and I'm going to use a John Egan phrase, soaking in what God's doing in their lives. So it, it's an interesting model, really, I mean, really cool at face value. It's great. Yeah. Um, w one of the things, Josh, that I'm, I'm curious about is how, how, how would this be implemented at a large church when you've got tons of kids in a classroom and it's just, I mean, come on. Yeah, well, that, that's one of the downsides of this model um, is, yes, it can definitely be implemented in small circles, you know, in a group of 10 kids and a group of 25 kids. But really, if, if you have a fairly big church with a, with a decent-sized kids ministry, this is very difficult to impossible to implement on a large scale. Are, are we all, all kind of with me? Like, to have kids sit down in the room and say, all right, everybody, just, let's just rest and just think about God. When there's 200 kids in the room, oh my gosh, get me out of here. I turn in my resignation today, Brad Baker. No. 
Um, so yeah, it, that, that's part of a drawback to the model. Yeah, for example, imagine the mini monastery model being implemented in this room on a Sunday morning. Holly Newman, our elementary director, how many um, first, second, and third graders do we have in this room last Sunday, roughly? So imagine 150 first, second, and third graders in this room having quiet moments of reflection for 45 minutes, right? Oh my goodness. I quit. Yeah, I, I, quit. I quit. Holly's ministry. like, I'm out, I'm out. I think another, another uh, to give voice to the critic, I think could say, this really lacks any concrete principle. Like what, we're just sort of out here going, oh yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna catch it on their own and give me something really tangible that we're trying to like drill into the kids, you know? Like what, a, a critic might say that. Not that I'm and, a critic. And the advocate would say that this model really fosters a sense of reverence for the Lord. You know, if you're going in. Well, yeah, they'd be asleep, Josh. That's right. Just rest. Just take just a nap rest. and sleep in the Lord. Um, you know, r having reverence and fostering that, that awe, that wonder, you know, it's, it, it's a big part of this model. So. Are, we, are we about to get in a fight over this? Ish? Probably, Probably, yes. okay. Parking lot. Nice. All right, so the next model, we're going to move on, is the high-octane model. Now, this one I picture as like a Red Bull. You just take a Red Bull and whoosh, you're ready to go. You're ready to run a marathon. Actually, that probably wouldn't be good. But you're ready to go, man. It's high energy. It's hopping. You're high octane. And these ministries are, uh, to give an example, the kind of the kids on the move of uh, church. You know, how many of you guys are familiar with kids on the move, what they do? Church on the move, Willie George, Tulsa. Anyway, it's a, it's a highly media-driven model where technology and media are a huge point of emphasis um, within this model. And one of its strengths is, is it uses pop culture relevance to, um, as a tool for evangelism, really. They, they use what's current, Minecraft. We're not, we're not a high-octane model, don't you worry. But I'm just giving an example. Minecraft this model would say, oh, Minecraft, and they reach out to their kids based on Minecraft references. Or they talk about, you know, the Colorado kid, about Peyton Manning and how much his arm sucks today. Gosh, I just stepped on Bronco fans' toes. Just kidding. Just kidding. No one reacted. My wife is a Broncos fan, and she's going to probably hit me when I get home. But um, they're constantly reaching out and, and um, being relevant to the, to the kids. And so they're speaking their own language. Uh, their banner verse is 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 23. And a lot of us know that. That's the, when the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, I've become all things to all men. And the idea that cultural relevance, hey, it really can be used as a tool for evangelism. And they believe that kids need the gospel spoken in their own language. And really that's the root of uh, being culturally relevant. It seems like we've gone polar opposite from the mini monastery model in that there is zero room for introspection or reflection in this model, that there's so much noise. How on earth would they ever come to understand something like, be still and know that I am God? And, and another, you know, another avenue to critique this model would be to say, their world is fill, full of noise all the time. Why would we just want to fill it with more? Like, wouldn't we want to shift gears a little bit at church and tone it down, a critic might say? Um, and, and, and how much does the message get, gets lost in the method of delivery? Because they're so distracted by the blinking lights and all the clever videos. And 
Yeah, definitely. Those are valid points. Walk us through uh, knowledge is king, Joshua. Knowledge is king. All right, that's the, that's the third approach we're going to hit on. And I can sum this model up in one word, Awanas. How many of you guys know or have been a part of Awanas in the past? Some of you may still have your vest, maybe a trophy, maybe, I don't know. But um, Awanas, you know, prevalent in 19,000 churches now and in 109 countries. So obviously the knowledge is king approach is a very widely circulated model worldwide uh, in our generation. So the knowledge is king model emphasizes uh, scripture memory, biblical instruction, a graduated award system, and a systematic training structure. So it's, it's giving the kids spiritual disciplines um, largely in scripture memory and um, that being kind of the crux of their way of ministry. They, uh, they uh, commonly quote the verse in Ephesians, the washing of the word, how there's a, there's a sanctifying kind of element to the word of God. And when kids really get the word in them, then they're able to, uh, you know, as David says in Psalm 119, I've hidden my word, your word in my heart. Our word wouldn't really be that great. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so this idea that, no, the word is, is the core of what the knowledge is king model does. And it actually allows kids to walk obediently to God. Um, and a huge banner verse of theirs is Isaiah 55, 11, that says, the word of the Lord won't return void. And the, the really core theology in this model is, if the word's deposited in a kid, even if he doesn't remember it with his brain, you know, two, three, four years from now, well, the Holy Spirit, you know, it, it, he's deposited that in that kid's heart through the word. So then uh, he's able to bring that back up to remembrance when the time comes, when they have to walk in obedience to that word. And it's hard to critique this model because if you critique it, you feel like you're almost critiquing the, the Bible and saying, my kids need less Bible. But I think there are some really legitimate downsides to the Awana approach of thing. First and foremost is it's an incentive-based program. And studies have shown that for our younger kids especially, that all, they, all they truly remember and get is this incentive. So they may re re repeat back a verse but they're really thinking about whatever the new badge is or the new backpack they're gonna get from Awanas. And that verse may or may not be tucked away in their long-term memory. And so you've just given them, you know, a little tag for a, a verse they remember that long and then it's like, it's gone. Um, another critique that you, you could say is that you're really on, a, if it's a Sunday morning program, you're really throwing kids into a high expectation environment. So especially a kid who's, non-churched or unchurched rolled in and they're like, okay, you're gonna remember the, memorize the Bible and they sort of automatically may feel in competition with the rest of the kids in the room who've got 50 million badges and they're like, oh great, I'm like, the, I am low on the totem pole because I don't, even, I don't even know the first book of the Bible. And they feel so intimidated by all these kids. They're like, I got this, you know, sword drills and they're just like, whoa. Thrown in the deep end. Absolutely. You know, it, which really, when you look at it that way, the model doesn't have a strong evangelistic kind of facet to it. You know, it's very, the church kid, you fill him with knowledge, and then that's good, so. Right. Another, another thing that you could say is, perhaps Awanas works well as a supplementary or auxiliary program, but to call it really the core and the heart, it, it's kind of a one-dimensional, to me, it boils down spiritual formation into one thing, scripture memory. 
and you go, okay, isn't it a little bit more comprehensive and, and, and beyond that? Um, so yeah, let's walk through this last one. Yeah, so finally, the last one we're gonna touch on is the sensory buffet. Um, and this one, this one's interesting because most megachurches in Western culture, and maybe in the world, I'm not sure, but a lot of megachurches adopt this model as their staple. So churches like Willow Creek, churches like uh, Mariner's Church in Irvine, you're a California guy. Um, so a lot of megachurches are adopting this model, and what it, what it is, is this model has a propensity towards choreography, production, games, and high-energy worship. So at the get-go, you know, you're seeing that this model has kind of a leaning towards the stage. It has that, that productional element to it. It's got the lights. It's got the loud music. It's got the, the crazy guy in the costume who's dressed up as Superman doing, you know, games on stage, that kind of stuff. And Kind of a cousin to the high-octane in yeah, some ways. Yeah, somewhat. But the high-octane is media-driven, so that's primarily on the screen. But, yeah, this one's um, on stage, very productional, and really... Um, what, what one of its strengths are is it's, it highly values outreach and evangelism. So it, it engages and then it helps reach the kids with this productional kind of model, which really a strength to it is one could argue that it helps foster a sense of love for the church because kids in this model really aren't bored with church. They're constantly exposed to boom, boom, boom. Oh, check out this, check out this, check out this. It's high energy, it's fun. There's cool people on stage. There's fun videos. You know, it's, it's multi-sensory. And so kids from a lot of different learning styles can come in and legitimately love the church because of some of the fun productional stuff that, that, that it happens. And finally, a big one, a big part of this model is uh, the fun factor. And there being a theology of fun within this model. The, the adopters of this model would say, there's a lot to be said for kids having fun and that being okay. And that being actually part of our relationship with God. You know, God's a God of fun. He's not a boring, um, you know, by the book kind of God, but he's, he's a creator, he's, he's alive, he's active, he's moving. And so, um, you know, they, they make the argument that no, there's actually a theology of fun that yeah. we do. Uh, a critique of this model would be to say, you have an hour-ish with kids each week. Why devote so much time to the fun element when that's what they're doing throughout their whole week? Kids are constantly, if they're not at school, they're carving out time to do the things that are fun for them. So why spend any of your time or such a big chunk of your time on a Sunday morning trying to have fun with kids? Like that's, isn't that, they get tons of it elsewhere. Another critique uh, might be, there's a lack of emphasis on the word, right? Like, where is scripture? Like, does that, does that somehow get lost in all of this? Bam, 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 and all these different elements. Does the real content of the word, of the gospel, somehow get, get lost in that whirlwind is, is what another, you know, possible critique of that model could be. Um, one thing for me as well that, that you could say in this model is there's such an emphasis on the high value of production from the stage that the staff spend so much of their time, energy, and talent on that. Ideas like partnering with parents to be the primary influencers in the home get lost because you're like, it's all about this hour, hour, and 20 minutes that we have with kids, and it's gonna be so poppy and snappy that it's gonna change them to the detriment of realizing that, you know, 
parents get this much influence and time and we get this much. And we lose that, you could lose that if you're implementing this kind of model. So what we want you, um, what we want to invite you to do now is to take hopefully some of the notes you've written down and do a little time of reflection on the children's ministry that you lead or that you're a part of or that you're a volunteer in and try to put a percentage by the amount that you think each approach is reflected in your context. So I've done this three or four times for our children's ministry, and I think I sort of get a little different answer um, each time. But obviously your goal is to come up with 100%, but you may say high octane. I've just heard the description about high octane, and this is on page three of your notes, by the way. Um, we just heard high octane. I think that's about 10% of, of who we are as a ministry. And then so on, go around the circle, and again, you may go through and then erase and go back, but you, what you wanna do is try to figure out how much of each of these philosophies you're implementing. And you may say, oh, it's easy. We do Awanas 100%. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're knowledge is king without a question. But my hunch is that even if you have a predominant approach, that there is perhaps a, a, a slight blending. Uh, or some of you go, man, I could actually relate to elements of all of it. We're sort of, uh, we're sort of like <laughs> potluck, right? Yeah, it's we actually probably really rare that churches or ministries are all of one Indeed. without any component for it's another rare. one. Yeah, so. very rare. So, and then, thank you. There's uh, also two questions below that won't take you very, well, actually, the, the first one may take you a while. What key people or factors shaped your current children's ministry approach? In other words, how did it come to be this way? So take a stab at analyzing how did your children's ministry come to be what it is? It didn't just happen, right? There was some, uh, some process that it went through over time. Analyze that, and then the next question you're gonna rate on a scale from one to 10, how well do you think the children's ministry reflects the ministry philosophy of your church as a whole? So sort of, if, if you asked your senior leader, what's the philosophy of ministry of, of our church? And they described that, how connected is what you perceive to be the ministry, uh, the philosophy of children's ministry? On a scale, 10 being, oh, they're identical, just for younger ages, or they're so disconnected. That's an important question to ask. So take just a few minutes. We're not gonna give you much time um, because we have some other things we wanna touch on before we wrap. So let's kick some music and you guys can reflect um, for a minute. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna pull this back in. Um, so we talked about, um, I alluded to this right up top, I said it, it's so vital for us to have a healthy thinking through it process where we've truly gone to the core of things. And when you're building a house, right, you dig down deep into the soil and lay your foundation before there is actually an outward expression of a house. Before you ever paint the walls, before you ever put the blinds up, you make sure that that foundation is rock solid. And so we have a, a, a visual that kind of illustrates the process that we're working through. This pyramid here I've come to really love. Um, partly because I'm proud of myself for, for thinking of it and not relying on Dr. Anthony uh, for all those smart things. But at the bottom is our theology. And um, you'll see in your notes, this is uh, how we've kind of walked through one aspect of the expression of our children's ministry. We started with our theological beliefs. So you can put by that theology, um, by theology put what? This represents the what. What you believe. 
And for us, the wonder, beauty, power, and glory of God is an important theological pillar at New Life. It's not just one of the things that, that we believe. It's one of our core theological beliefs that our, our church is rooted in. So the philosophy of ministry that emerges out of that, and you could put beside philosophy of ministry, because, because of what we believe theologically, because of the above theological emphasis, we want to consistently teach kids about the incredible characteristics of God and give them an opportunity to experience him firsthand for themselves. We believe this is, an essen- is essential to their spiritual formation. So then we move up the ladder a little bit, contextualization. Beside that, you can put who and where. This is when you examine questions about who are the children that are coming to your church? Who are the families that are there? What's the overall spiritual temperature of the church that you're a part of? So for this I wrote, corporate worship is a big deal here at New Life or in the New Life context. We have a congregation full of adults that love to worship together through songs and outward physical expression. Our church is known for pressing into God through corporate worship, and we are used to seeing lots of people respond. This contextualization is important because we want the children's ministry as much as possible to be a reflection of the ministry philosophy of the larger house that it's a part of. And so we really feel like, wow, this is really gaining some traction. We've, we've, we've gone theology, we have a, a philosophy ministry, it's contextualized well, it's, there's, a, there's a context in which this will thrive. And so what's our expression? So you notice the very last thing is ministry practice. And this is the how. So how do we work all of this out? So you can turn to your last page. As a result of all of the above, We set aside a significant time each and every week for children of all ages and grades to worship corporately together. We invite them to do hand motions along with each song and continually remind them that worshiping God in song and ultimately with their lives is a part of why we were created. So you can see, it's like if anyone ever rolled in and said, why do you guys give like 20, 25 minutes to worship and, and, and include hand motions, we have a lot to tell them about the why we do that. It's rooted in a lot of core convictions and there's been a healthy thinking through of the process. And it would be a fun exercise for you to examine some of the core theological beliefs of your church, if you, if you can identify those, and then work them up into the expression in your children's ministry. Or you could start by doing it within your own church. Like one of, one of our things, an outward expression that we're really working in is this idea I mentioned earlier of partnering with parents, empowering them to be the primary influencers and disciplers in their home, right? That's sort of our philosophy of ministry. So we're contextualizing that. We're, we're seeing what that really looks like. We're implementing that. Well, that's rooted in a deep theological conviction, right? The Bible clearly says, you know, moms and dads, train up your child. We can go on and on about why theologically rooted. So you can see it, it goes all the way down, right? And so the expressions in your children's ministry, I'm wondering if you could, if, if you could, if you had time to do that, if you could, or if it was like, ah, 
you know, for me, we've, we've worked hard to try to do some of this, and there's, there's still a lot of, of wrestling yet to go on this. So what we want you to do as sort of a take-home, um, after I explain this, we'll, we'll go into a, a Q&A time, but we want to invite you. You can see there's blanks there for you to do this process as you have more time to think and reflect um, about this. So um, what, what we're going to do now is we're going to have a few minutes of Q&A, and then I'm going to introduce the core children's staff that's in the room, and I'm going to uh, describe to the, uh, just a two-second description on what each of them do. So that way, if you're like, hey, that's similar to a role that I have in my church, or that's an area that we're trying to figure out, you can go and ask a really pointed question. Let's say for Holly, I keep picking on Holly, uh, Holly and actually Tim right here oversee our elementary, and you say, yeah, that's an area that I, our elementary world is kind of in a transition place. I have a lot of questions for them. Or you may say, what do you do for, for resources and, and budgeting? Well, Cassandra is right here, and she oversees that. So we're going to do that here in a second. But we want to open it up to uh, some Q&A. Josh, you want to set up our Q&A time as you see fit? Yeah, well, before we jump into that, you, as you were talking about that, I think to elaborate that we are not the picture-perfect, altogether children's ministry. And I know we've, we've referenced that, but really, you know, when, after Q&A, you talk to some of our staff, we're people who are still figuring this out, who are still wrestling, who are still thinking through, okay, what is our children's ministry philosophy? So because of that, you know, we're, we have a pretty good gauge for, okay, wow, like this is definitely necessary. So we want to encourage you guys as you go back to your churches and your children's ministries or maybe your youth ministries to ask the hard questions, you know, to, to really dig in with your team and get down to the nitty gritty and, you know, break down, okay, what's our theology on this? What's our philosophy of ministry? And then only let the ministry practice um, be a subsequent fruit of um, those wrestling. So anyway, um, moving on, let's do Q&A right now. So if there's anything that stuck out to you guys um, that you may have a question about um, or you may, you know, be, be kind of chewing on it in your brain, um, let's, let's open up the floor. You guys can just raise your hands. We'll, we'll call you out, and then uh, we, can, we can go through this. So essentially, um, she, her context is, um, she's had a home ministry, and she has um, had people who um, are getting clean from drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff. And just recently, she's been put into a children's ministry to oversee it. And so she's kind of starting at square one. She doesn't have uh, a preset philosophy that she can build off of. So she asked, how would she go about getting or developing that philosophy, which is a great question. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, early on, one of, your, one of your best investments, to kind of answer both in, in one, uh, budgeting, where to put your money, um, one of the best decisions we made was to land on the content that we were going to present to our kids. And so we've gone with true curriculum. David C. Cook has an incredible curriculum suite, actually, not to keep referring back to the Anthony's, but they are the, the creators of that. Um, and so Michelle will write a lot of the content, her team. And then Dr. Anthony, Michael Anthony, with his double doctorate in theology, will examine each lesson for theological accuracy. And so it really takes the load off of, of, of you to say, I've got to come up with these lessons. And, and it really provides a, a really healthy springboard. 
And the, the great thing about the true curriculum for me is it's not just a curriculum, it's a philosophy of ministry with, with things like partnering with parents at the core. And so it really, it really provides you a lot of structure that might otherwise take you years and years and years to figure out. And so I, I, I think another thing for me that's been helpful is like, is probably what you're doing, like just finding other people that have been in children's ministry, sitting down with them and saying, like really, sometimes it's those really practical tips that can keep you sane, like like kind of, for lack of a better word, like classroom management. How do I keep these kids from just going crazy? Like those kind of things in the early days can really keep you from just fizzling out because you're like, ah, I'm so spent. But really leaning on on other people who who's, who's, all they do is develop content is so, so helpful, I, I think, for me, if I was in your shoes especially. I, I think, too, a good first step also is, having that initial dialogue with the pastor, the oversight, you know, because I think the last thing any of us want is to have a rogue ministry and something that's just way left field over here that has no translation really to the big church at large. So I think a big step is having that conversation of, hey, Pastor Bobby, sure, what is the big philosophy of the church? Like, how, how do you see... Um, what our role is in reaching the lost in our city. And I think having some of that initial dialogue um, will serve any of us well who are really starting at square one, two, or any of the initial stages. And knowing that, that in your home there's a lot of just outward broken, and we all have brokenness, but it's a lot of visible brokenness, the parents, their involvement in this process, like if you're working really hard with the kids, but yet there, there really isn't, say, let's parenting workshops or people coming in that are helping provide basic understanding of healthy godly parenting like you're you're really not that you're not going to accomplish anything but a lot of the seed that you're throwing on the hearts of these little people could be sw swept away by a mom or dad who's just really has no clue because they had no model you know and so i i would put your effort you know curriculum yes but really that partnering with parents for me would be is huge in any context but in that context would be massive. We, we have, Brady's referred to, to Mary's Home a lot here where we're taking single moms and their children off the streets. One of the things that we're really becoming aware of is we've got to start helping these moms, you know, and because it doesn't matter what we pour into them, if it's not reinforced or cultivated at home, whew, it's really difficult. Great question. Yeah. Should we disclose that information or should we build the tension? I don't know. We could take a vote. I don't. All in favor of us disclosing that information, say hey. Okay, let's do it. Um, so he, in yeah. case you couldn't, in case you couldn't hear, the question was, what, what, where does New Life land? You've talked about these philosophies. We're curious about what you would say New Life is. Um, I mean, percentages are kind of tricky because, like we said, we're still really wrestling this to the ground. But I would say that um, our ministry really as a whole falls largely in the sensory buffet model. You look at a Sunday morning, we have high energy worship, we have hand motions, we have games that we do on stage. Fun zone before. Fun zone, we have upbeat pre-service music. So you know, there, there's Discussion a lot. groups. Yep, exactly. There is a lot to be said for the sensory buffet um, in our children's ministry philosophy. Also, though, we're, we're, we're beginning, we're just at the infant stages of implementing more mini-modestary um, kind of model approaches because I think that, especially in a megachurch setting, the modern kid isn't used to quiet. 
unless they're going to bed or they've been punished or put in time out. You know, they're really not exposed to a ton of time where it's just, you know what, be still and know that he's God, which makes that all the more potent when the modern kid in a megachurch context comes in and has an opportunity to sit and to hear from God, really, maybe for the first time in their life. It's pretty amazing. So I would say we, we have hints of this um, in our... Uh, specific children's ministry philosophy, probably the least of us is high octane. We don't really have a huge emphasis on media as of yet, but um, yeah, that's us. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so the question was, how do you measure desired outcomes that you're thinking? Now, I believe that everything that can be measured should be measured, but we also know that there are a lot of things in ministry that cannot be measured. And especially if you're taking a spiritual formation, um, if you're painting that as your target, um, you're not overly obsessed with seeing outward visible fruit in children's lives now. You're more concerned about the trajectory of them in their home long term. And so um, that one's challenging for us. I think that um, we have in different seasons put an emphasis on scripture memory at times. We've put an emphasis on how, or we've examined how engaged our children in worship and, and how, or how much are they just sitting back and observing. Um, what kind of discussions are we, uh, are, we per, are, we, is there, are we providing as a catalyst to happen at home? In other words, what kind of feedback are we getting from parents about kids retaining what we're teaching them and then wanting to talk about it. Um, and so I, I feel like our ma matrix of, of measures is, measurements is pretty loose at this point. Um, but I think it's probably a reflection that we're still dialing in our philosophy. And the more dialed in that is, the more we're able to say, what are we really looking for? And I, ultimately for me, I think one of the big ones that, that we're pushing for is you know, the volunteer involvement the, the partnering with parents and you know, how well are we doing at equipping moms and dads to be the primary influencers is, is a huge you know, measurable that we, we want to look at in the next year. Yeah, though it's, you know, obviously spiritual formation is hard to quantify. It, it's hard to really say, okay, children are growing because of this. Now there are some things, you know, obviously a kid engages more in worship, a kid you know, if, if you make the argument, memorize the scripture, there are certain milestones. But I think really, though it's not the fruit, if our services and the nuances of the week in and week out elements of our ministry line up, ultimately, best case, with our ministry philosophy, meaning, um, you know, if you, if you decide, okay, we really want to give space for kids to hear God and to adopt maybe a little bit of the mini monastery model. Well, having elements in the services, I think those are maybe some tangible things that you can say, okay, we're making progress. Like, though this isn't the ultimate fruit, it's at least milestones to where you can see, okay, we are moving from point A to point B. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Megan, from Arvada, Foothills Church. I'm just, I'm just... My mind off, isn't often Show this off. quick, but I'm just proud of myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Incredible question. So when I became children's pastor, I don't know how many weeks it was into it. I, I went to Pastor Brady and said, we have this crazy big goal to recruit hundreds and hundreds of new volunteers this year. And I said, can I have six Sundays a year out of 52? 
um, to emphasize children's ministry. And he said, yeah, done. And I was like, that was easy. And uh, I said, great. And so we, we, we do that um, for a couple of reasons. One, we, whether someone even ever serves in our ministry or not, we want them to know the value that we place on children, that that is something really important to our church. And really to kind of share the narrative and maybe of our children's ministry, invite them to be a part of the story, but also it, it helps us break down negative stereotypes or assumptions they've made. Um, about, I'm talking this about Evan from Montana, about some people have assumptions about what serving in children's ministry looks like, and so they just haven't. And so we try to break down and say, there's so many different ways that you can be a part of this ministry. And it, it, maybe you don't have any interaction with kids, because that scares you to death. That's fine. Um, so that's been, that's been helpful for us. Um, I would also say that we've challenged our existing volunteers to say, okay, like we're, we're doing in October, we're challenging our current volunteers. We're saying, invite your circle of friends to come be a part. And, and then the other thing is, word gets around your church if there's a high value add in the life of a volunteer. And so what we've created is a very intentional training process. They, they, the bar is set high at our church. They have to go through five things before they're what's called dream team approved, background checks and reference checks and interview. Um, and then they go through an orientation. And then we have, once they're approved to volunteer, we have um, uh, large group trainings where they break off into age or grade specific groups. And we're really trying to foster that sense of community and family um, and so that they're really a part of it. And it's not just the function of it, but they're really the, the essence of being a part of that ministry team. And that starts to get around, you know, like there's an excitement and a joy and people want to be a part of that. That's been helpful for us. And something real creative that um, has been happening with us is because we have those emphasis Sundays, we've been making videos of volunteers or staff where serving in children's ministry has really impacted them. You know, we, we've hounded those people that just have those stories, the, the awing, oh my gosh, we got to get you on the screen kind of stories. And we've, we've done just that. We've, we've shot videos. We've put them on the screen in front of the whole church as a testimony of, look, serving kids, yes, impacts them, but it impacts you. Like, that's good missiology as a whole. You know, it's as we, the church, get our hands dirty, though it may be inconvenient and though it may not feel so great all the time, as we get in the trenches, God blesses the child, but he also blesses you. So that's been something tangible that's been, I mean, I think really powerful for us. Absolutely. Great question, Megan. So great question. So one of them is what Josh had said. We, we almost always have a video. And then some, a lot of times I get to speak and so there's another, there's a chance for me to be in front of the church as the children's pastor and, you know, personally welcome them in. And then we have out in the lobby, we have, uh, we have booths set up and say, hey, we have cards set out on the seats often. Say, come by, talk to us, express interest. We always also have a volunteer interest meeting that following Tuesday. So we say, come Tuesday night, we, we answer your questions, sort of allow them to put their toe in the water before they jump in. Say, well, let's just come answer your questions. So a little bit more. We give, them, uh, we give them some of the handouts that are on your table that really provide a snapshot of what children's ministry is. Um, and then we're rigorous about following up with them. You know, we, uh, 
we, we, stop, we stop short, a little bit short of hounding them, but we, we want to remind them, hey, you express interest. We really want to talk to you. Unless you tell us you no longer have any desire to serve, we'll probably keep contacting you for a while. <laughs> or unless there's a background check issue. That's a big deal as well. Yeah, exactly. Great question. I'll speak to that. So, yeah, when I first came on, um, I saw a huge value in explaining the why of worship to kids. Because I think a lot of times I've seen kids' ministries where it's just you jump up, you do the song, and you're done. When really, though, yes, some kids may know the why and may know the theological implications of worship. Doubtful, but maybe. I, I saw a huge value in right at the get-go, um, at, the, at the beginning of the service, saying, hey, guys, this is why we worship. And maybe spending a minute or two. Um, given something really simple, really tangible, we worship because God created us. You know, when, when we worship, we, we are being God's creation, and he actually wants us to worship him, and this is something we're going to be doing for eternity. You know, so forever and ever and ever and ever, you're going to be worshiping God, and we get to partner with God and do that right now. Something like that to where the kids, oh, okay, yeah, let's worship. Then we do usually a fast song in a moderate song, and then after that, there's got to be another kind of rope them in. Okay, there's some kids in the back, you know, punching the wall. They're doing jumping jacks in the corner. Okay, time to corral them in again. And then saying, hey, guys, we're about to, we're about to keep worshiping God. You know, this is a big deal. You know, just, just finding times in those to maybe fill some space and elaborate on why we worship. And then the songs take up about five minutes each depending on what your set list looks like. But yeah, that, that was a huge high value add to me because it, it really brought home the heart of why we do things. And um, ultimately, I felt that that represented New Life Church at large is by me doing that, which I'm a strong advocate of your children's ministry reflecting the big church. So I had a pretty heavy conviction about that. But yeah, does that answer your question? Okay. So, so really practically, I don't want to assume that, that you're fully tracking with the the, the true nuts and bolts of it. So all of our elementary grades, first through six, are in the same room together for worship. So Josh leads a full band, and there's people up there that may or may not have a mic, but they're leading hand motions, and the kids press forward towards the stage and will really engage with us. In our, It looks a little bit different in our other age, in, age groups environments. We may do track uh, worship up in our CWC, pre-K, K, on some of our younger ages, and then all, all the way down into our, our, our nursery, our twos, our threes, we'll take time, throw on a CD, we'll have tambourines, little musical instruments where we start to foster that expression. Um, obviously, it's, they're not cognitively fully aware, but that co-natural knowing. Yeah, and I think it is wise to, to explain that we only do that for elementary. So the 20, 25 minutes is elementary. We're not getting three-year-olds and, all right, time to worship. Let's do it. Next half hour. Woo. Uh-uh. But, you know, we probably pre-KK, um, they do one or maybe two songs a week. Lori, is that right? Two songs max? Yeah. So, so that's maybe seven minutes, um, maybe ten tops if you have some big songs. But, you know, tailoring it to the age group. So let's take one more, and then I want to introduce my team because I just think they're amazing and let you guys um, track them down if you have specific questions about the areas. Yes. Yeah, great question. So this, I would say, um, to, to give you a fair picture, I would say this is still in its infancy right now in our church, but we are fully com committed to it. Um, along with overseeing um, elementary, Holly Newman here 
um, it, her a big half, other half of her job is to lead this initiative called Partnering with Parents. And so I'll tell you what it looks like now, and then I'll tell you a little bit about what we hope it blossoms into. So um, number one is we want to over-communicate with parents about what we're doing um, in children's ministry, about the key calendars, key, key events on our calendars. We want to make sure that they not only un understand from a very nuts and bolts, when, where, who, all that stuff, but we also want to give them um, a real sense of who we are as children's ministry leaders. Uh, because you know as a parent, like, you don't just entrust your child to anybody or you want to partner with anybody. You're very selective, perhaps more selective about who you, who you want to partner with related to your kids than any other area of your life. And so for a while, when I became a children's pastor, I wasn't getting a lot of pulpit time. And so I would shoot these little videos just on my, on my computer and I would email them out. And just a chance for me to say, hey, you know, we're so, we love your kids and, and on and on. Just sort of really let my pastoral heart um, wear it on my sleeve so that parents could really see that I, I wasn't just doing this because Pastor Brady asked me, like, I'm doing it because I'm, I, oh, I'm full of God's heart for this ministry. The other thing that we wanted to do was begin uh, communicating more effectively about what we were teaching their kids on a Sunday morning from a biblical content standpoint. And you can really approach it one of two ways. You can tell them before you're going to teach it, Say, hey, this Sunday we're teaching on this, so start the process. Or you can say, this is what we teach, taught on Sunday, carry on the conversation throughout the week. Um, so the other thing we want to do, um, or we've done a little bit, is, like I said, we did um, a parenting Q&A with the Anthonys. So we had, we had a group of parents in this room, and it was after Michelle and I actually spoke on a Sunday morning about her book, Spiritual Parenting. And we just let parents come in, and we had an open Q&A. And what we're hoping to do there is, is two things. Yes, answer their questions, but see who our early adopters were to this idea of partnering with parents and ask them to help lead the initiative. So in other words, we're going to do a, a centralized small group study where we do the DVD curriculum that Michael and Michelle have done, and we'll have these parents, kind of our core leaders, sit at tables and host tables. And there's a, there's a, a healthy level of pressure to say, we want you to fill your table. They're going to want to fill it with people they know and love, maybe neighbors that aren't connected to the church. Come and we'll, we'll sharpen this ax. Uh, we also have a family camp planned um, for 2016, which is kind of a new, crazy, cool idea where we want to take uh, parents and kids away and, and, and create bonding moments with them, allow them to wrestle in a camp setting with some things um, together. The other thing is, um, if you really, like we are, ad adopting the true philosophy, um, the, the most robust um, resource they have, which is incredible, is, is the Homefront magazine. And so this Homefront magazine basically takes all the principles in the spiritual parenting book, and it gives you practical ideas of how to walk them out in their home. Now, I would argue that it is definitely, you know, you, you think of crawl, walk, run steps when it comes to empowering parents. To me, it's, it's a little bit more on the run side of things. Like, some of our parents, it's like, oh yeah, maybe I should pray for my kids once a year. It's sort of where they're starting. They're in the crawl phase. And this magazine is, is just so rich with content that for some parents, it overwhelms them. But once you begin to develop that culture, there's, you're going you're gonna to change their appetite. 
and they're going to go, oh my gosh, this is my primary responsibility. Give me that magazine. They rip through it, and they just devour it. So I think in some ways our church isn't quite ready for home, home front. We're, we're, we're going to start offering it, but I think six months a year down the road, I think we're going to have a lot of hungry parents because we are calling them out as the primary spiritual influences of their home. The other thing that we're implementing that, that, we, that we will be implementing in 2016 is something we call response stations. And it's a chance for kids to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing inside them during classroom time and do something tangible as an expression of what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of them. And so, for example, you may have a prayer wall where, like, what, what, what one thing did you feel like God spoke to you? So they write something, and then they pin it up on a wall. It's a very rudimentary example. But then when mom and dad comes in, right near checkout, you have a response station. And instead of little Johnny saying, I got a little trinket, a car, I'm so excited. He goes, look, mom, see my block that I put there? That, that represents this thing in the Old Testament called an Ebenezer, and it's a, it's a monument to God. That's my block, and I put something on there, you know? And so it, be, it becomes this great, healthy dialogue between care, parents and kids. Um, and so that's another thing, is like really encouraging moms and dads to say, have more weighty conversations with your children. You know, how did you see God today? You know, um, what did God speak to you uh, when you were at church today, you know, those are just some of the things, and it's going to grow, grow more and more robust, but that's an initial answer. So, okay, great questions, you guys. I want to quickly introduce my staff, and we're getting close to five, and I'm sure you're, you're thinking I'm ready to eat, but I want to give you a chance to interact with our staff. So, if you're a core staff, can you stand up um, really quick for me, and I'll just kind of jump around the room. So we're going to start over here. This is Allison. She oversees our midweek program. So anything that's not on a Friday or a Sunday, she runs children's ministry. Uh, and also it really does help support um, small groups and studies, centralized studies for adults. It's awesome. This is Steve Heron. He's our executive administrator. Really my right hand in so many things. Handles a lot of the nuts and bolts of my world. So amazing. This is Samantha right here. She's our special needs coordinator. So we are relaunching special needs ministry at our church. Pretty excited about this young lady being on our team. Woot woot. Woot woot. So Evie is in the back. Um, she, Evie is our director of classrooms. And so um, from babies all the way up through sixth grade, she's kind of the, the 30,000 foot leader that really coordinates and coaches our team. And she's an incredible, incredible woman. This is Becca right here. Um, she's in Josh's world. Um, you were about to say something, weren't you? You pulled the mic up. No. You're excited about having Becca in your world. I am excited. Yeah, she's an incredible uh, worship leader and just helps coordinate Josh's world because Josh isn't really administrative. Um, so neither am I, by it's the true. way. I'll own it. <laughs> yeah, neither am I. This is Tim Shepard. He oversees fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Um, amazing young new leader in our, in our ministry. Holly Newman, you've already heard. She oversees first, second, and third, but also is the overarching elementary leader as well as parent partnerships is her um, big thing. So back here is Trina Hoosier. She's our director of operations. So Trina, Evie, Josh, and I kind of make up the, the overall leadership of the team, the four of us. I call us the super quad, but I don't know. It's just a silly name. Used to be the trifecta, and then we let Josh in, so we had to rename it. So we were forced. Um, I'm going to skip over you. Go here. This is Christy Birch. 
Christy Birch uh, oversees Dershery. I heard like one person clap. Yeah, I like one. Yeah, yeah. Our nursery. We love nursery. This is Cassandra, and she, as I said earlier, she's resources and budget. This is Lori Bennett. She is our assistant director, colon, early childhood, as well as curriculum. And so she has a huge uh, way to responsibility. She's got a nice little job title there. Yes, yeah, seriously. Got commas and commas like and this commas. Is, it's like this long. So what I would like uh, to invite you to do in the few minutes before you um, break out for dinner is uh, two things. One, remember to mark this down as your favorite workshop on your surveys. Number two. We'll give you a nickel. That's right, a nickel. We will mail you a, a nickel. That's right. Um, and pick someone in the room who's standing up, or if you want to try to get with Mr. Anthony, you can too. Um, and, and maybe you have a specific pointed question um, for Christy about how nursery works because you feel like that's an area your church maybe needs to sharpen up on. So let me pray over you, and then we'll, then we'll break. Also, the handouts on your table are for you guys. Please and take them. So we, we strongly encourage you guys, whether you're interested or not, um, they, they may be just be good resources for you and your children's ministry. Seeing how we do things, I know obviously the contextualization is going to be different, but, you know, could just be a first start to some healthy conversations. Yeah, awesome. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, it's pretty amazing to stop and think about the influence that you've entrusted us with. We think about our home churches or whatever arena it is that we interact with kids and the ripple effect that will be felt. Lord, I just pray that you would empower us the rest of this year and in 2016 to be your hands, your feet, your voice to the next generation. That you would use us to be your hands, your feet, your voice to the parents of our church. Will you lead us, God? Will you help us to think clearly about our children's ministry, that it would be holistic and robust and a profound impact for your kingdom? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming.